Today on Indie Thinker with Reed Juberman, we discuss the cult of self, how it's cropping up with 13-year-olds on TikTok who are being stalked. Who would have guessed? Good job, parents. And then we'll also talk about a Biden appointee that cares more about identity, dog fetishes, rather than the job at hand. And we'll sum up with how some think Christian nationalism is a real threat to America and the church today rather than the cult of progressivism. All of that and more on today's show. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching this show today. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We just had perhaps one of the most important conversations we've had on Indie Thinker on our guest show with, with Jennifer Knapp, a really interesting back and forth. Uh, but I would encourage you to check out that past episode, but also to subscribe and then to click the bell to be notified so that you don't miss a single episode. Trust me, I know. There's lots of content out there that you constantly have to sort through. You don't want this fantastic show to go on the back burner, burner or get shuffled under the deck. So in order to make sure you're consistently being reminded of when we're posting content, and we do it pretty much every single day, uh, you need to make sure to click that bell and be notified. Now, before we jump into our stories today, I wanted to tell you just a personal story, kind of on a personal anecdotal note. Um, I was driving my family on vacation this past weekend and I got pulled over for speeding and I got my second speeding ticket in the span of about eight months. I want to get into why I get speeding tickets every single time I'm pulled over in our stories today, or at least the lead up to our stories. Um, but I do have a suspicion outside of kind of the more broader thing that we'll talk about today. I think, could be wrong, but I think it's the shirt. I think it either agitates people, just creates an emotional response, or it could be that officers think that I'm a private eye and I'm just waiting to jump in there and steal their job from them or something like that. I don't know what it is and I could be wrong about that. But like I said, we'll jump into that story and it's broader context here in just a moment. But before I do that, I wanna make sure to let you know that this video, this episode, this podcast is sponsored by Element Funding. And I'm a prophet, guys. I tried to tell you, you drug your feet for far too long, you didn't get pre-qualified, you didn't refinance your home, and now interest rates have gone up. I told you it would happen, and it did. But don't worry, because the Fed is also saying inflation is here to stay, and interest rates are going to go up again. And so you can beat that rush to interest rates and staying at a low interest rate by checking out our friends over at kevinblairteam.com. Element Funding is all over the nation, so even if they, Kevin Blair doesn't serve your direct area, they can help you find some place that does. Make sure to do that. Do it now before interest rates go up. Again, it's already been promised by the Fed that inflation is here to stay, but also that interest rates will go up again. By summer, they will be at an all-time high. So right now is a great time to go over and check out our friends over at KevinBlairTeam.com. So do that. Let them know that IndieThinker sent you. So my truth is an often heard phrase by those in the media and by left progressive Christians like Jen Hatmaker. Of course, because everything is identity politics these days, it's not just my truth, it's her truth and my trans truth. And in the process, truth is totally obliterated. It just so happens that in Christian circles with sermon preps, this is happening. We think we have to have, you know, every single perspective represented in a Sunday morning sermon, the white evangelical, the black perspective, the housewife perspective. We have to make sure that all of those are acknowledged and we enter into this infinite regress that sends us down a rabbit hole that never ends. 
just a small amount of research and you wear, you're become aware where this stuff comes from. It's from Marxism. And Marxist fundamentally believes that any form of hierarchy creates a power imbalance that oppresses people. So when you have universal objective truth standing above all other truths, of course, that is oppressive. And really what it is, is a threat to the Marxist lie that reality exists. So whenever you hear the phrase, my truth, you can rest assured that a leftist is somewhere nearby. This is why you can hear people like Don Lemon on CNN say all the time, my truth. And my truth, of course, is just a way of telling a lie and then purporting it to be honesty. So to put it less bluntly, people can excuse... Um, they can say my truth to express their personal experience, but we all know the problem with personal experience. The interpreter is involved and can perceive things incorrectly. So this is where that ticket comes into play. So I was pulled over this past weekend while traveling to go to a cabin with my family to just take some time off. Um, and so this is the second time in eight months. And in both occasions, I got a speeding ticket and wasn't going that fast over the speed limit. Now, if I were black, I could very easily assume that the reason I was treated this way and never given any leniency is because of the color of my skin. But because I'm not, I don't have the luxury of leaning on identity politics. Rather, I have to go, take personal responsibility for my actions, pay my ticket, and then think about actually slowing down in the, in the future. But dishonest, dishonest people saying their truth and excusing it with their experience is really the issue at the end of the day, is that it eliminates the reality of truth, real truth. So in Lemon's case, it's a get out of jail free card for sucky journalism. So I guess it's not only Marxist, but also an extension of our very self-centered culture. And here's the theme throughout all of our stories today. The biggest problem in society is not intersectionality or even Marxism. It's the age old problem of self-centeredness. And these ideologies just happen to be rooted in self-centeredness. The self has become the defining standard for all reality in the West. Today, how something makes me feel determines how true it is. Whether I agree with something becomes the standards for its goodness. If I agree with it, then it must be good. And all of it is a recipe, not only for disaster, but for idolizing the self rather than perfecting the self, which is what Christianity is really good at. This is well illustrated in a book I just read by Carl Truman called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. He was just recently in an interview and he was talking about the book and he made this very important quote. He said, quote, expressive individualism is the belief that each person must act based upon expressing his or her core feelings and intuition. And in so doing, they become authentic. Or to put it another way, they become really themselves. It is correct in seeing our inner space, our thoughts, our emotions as important parts of who we are. It is wrong in tending to see the world as thus serving the individual's happiness. Other people, formal institutions, and cultural traditions all tend to be seen in an adversarial light as threatening the individual's ability for self-realization. In trans ideology, even the body, therefore, becomes a problem to overcome if it contradicts our inner feelings. So what Truman is explaining there is really startling when you realize that not all expressions of self can coexist. This is what my Christian brothers and sisters don't understand very often. There is a sense in which we must coexist with the world and its prevailing tendencies, but we must also know the difference between those things that we can coexist with and those ideas that make coexistence impossible. We know this to be true. The person that believes anyone who disagrees with them must be murdered is expressing an idea that cannot be tolerated. So we must see beyond superficial unity, cowardly agreement, and have a reawakening of what standards we are going to obligate ourselves to. All societies have to consider which identities are approved, which are tolerated and outlawed. 
Agreement on these things seem further than ever since we largely disregard the Bible or use it merely to see what we can get out of it rather than how we should behave. But the fabric of our society demands we reconsider the tenets of the scripture. So until we finally ram our careening car into a wall, you'll have to hear people like me say over and over and over again, there is no such thing as my truth. There is only the truth and the lies. And by the way, I think there should be a, a shirt that says, my truth is the truth. Should be a shirt. And I wonder if you could go on the IndieThinker store and find something like that. The only way to find out is go to IndieThinker.org. While you do that, let's jump into our headlines. So right now, Russia and the Ukraine are headed for a head-on collision. And it's been in the works for a while. Now, we've gone back and forth in the media questioning whether or not this is going going to happen, whether or not you, the Russia is going to you, you invade the Ukraine. So uh, it seems inevitable at this point in time. The only question is, is what is the U.S. going to do about it? And what does this look like um, in, in the future with everything that's going on in our world? You know, like this, this issue with Russia just seems like the, the icing on the cake in the midst of a global pandemic, in the midst of shuttering culture and all of these things. So needless to say, uh, it seems like a foregone conclusion that this is, is going to happen. And in fact, the U.S. has some intel. And this, according to CBS, U.S. has intel that Russian commanders have orders to proceed with a Ukraine invasion. So it seems as though, like I said, that this is a foregone conclusion and this is going to happen. Uh, not to mention that Putin has already been issuing forth some baseless claims to try to set the precedent for what he's about to do. And this, according to the New York Times, Putin's baseless claims of genocide hint at more than war. So in other words, if he can paint the Ukrainians as genocidal maniacs, he can not only create the warrant for an invasion, but he can go in there and create a new... Uh, Russian uh, nation state uh, because of the evils of the supposed evils, right, of, of the Ukrainians. So all of this, we all know, is just simply an attempt to uh, justify these aggressive actions. Now, the real question is, is where do these aggressive actions come from? Uh, because if we're going to be honest with ourselves, and you don't have to be a Trumper for this, you just have to realize that during Trump's presidency, these kind of aggressive actions with uh, from Russia never never took place. And so it, it, I think, only is logical, rational to ask the question if a fumbled, bumbled Afghanistan withdrawal didn't embolden the Russians, not to mention the fact that Biden has already gone in and made uh, really what I would call concessions to the Russians by uh, by validating their pipeline and shutting down American pipelines. It just, I mean, if I was a conspiracy theorist, I would say there's Russian collusion here. But of course, we're never gonna hear that in the mainstream media today. We're only gonna constantly hear it during Trump's presidency and then later figure out that actually it was just Hillary Clinton making up a whole bunch of lies so that she could get elected in office. But let's get that masterclass, folks. I'm going to share with you what I intended to say if I had been elected in 2016. The real question that we're faced with, regardless of why Russia is emboldened at this point in time, is, is what are we gonna do about it? And should we do something about it? Now, I wanna speak for a moment just to my friends who are, are kind of in the isolationist camp. So these are people like Tulsi Gabbard who, uh, just recently came out with a TikTok video about this very thing. So let's show that. Now here's something you are not going to hear on the mainstream media. What you do hear 
is warmongers arguing that we must protect Ukraine because it is a quote-unquote democracy. But they're lying. Ukraine isn't actually a democracy. For example, to hold on to power, Ukraine's president shut down the three TV stations that were openly criticizing him and his policies, imprisoned the head of the opposition political party that had come in second place in their elections, and went and arrested and jailed that party's leaders. This is exactly what Putin has been accused of doing. But Ukraine did this all with the support of the United States. So Tulsi's take is that America may be moving in to defend the Ukrainians if the Russians do take aggressive actions because the Ukrainians are defenders of democracy. Well, I, I'm, I'm quite sure that what Tulsi just said is absolutely true and that they're not actually defenders of democracy. I'm not even totally positive that America is defenders of democracy all the time. I think there's another point here though, is that if it's true that that Russia was emboldened or Putin was emboldened by something that we did, then the question does have to be asked, what does America's role in the global community really look like? And what responsibility do we have on the global scale? And what responsibility do we have to our to ourselves here at home? Now, I, I would say that if we can't take care of our own backyard, that we need not to be so concerned about things that are going on in other people's backyard. But I'm not positive, first of all, that that analogy works in all situations and that we're at the place right now where we have to question whether or not we can take care of our own backyard. There's a lot of things going wrong that we can draw issue with here in America, but the, but the real question is, is when you see something that is an injustice, should you act upon it? And so here's the analogy that I have for this. If you are next door to a person who beats their wife. Now, maybe you could say, well, I'll just call the police and they'll take care of it. But what about the things that are gonna happen between the time that you become aware of what's going on and the time that the police get there? Don't you bear some responsibility personally to act when you see injustice? And I think we have to be careful with that, but that doesn't mean that we just automatic, automatically jump to the conclusion that we do not have a responsibility to step in there. In fact, I would go as far as to say that we are cowards if we put up platitudes like we need to take care of our own backyard or we need to make sure that things are going, don't we have homeless people in America? And not we put up those platitudes and we're cowards if we just say those things and disregard a personal responsibility to a world power that is invading another nation. Now I know we can get involved with a billion different things and waste taxpayer dollars on all these things. And I am somewhat concerned that Biden may just simply look at what's happening in Ukraine and Russia as an opportunity to make a name for himself, to, to, to put more, you know, uh, check marks on his resume, especially as he jumps into the State of the Union where you where it boggles the mind to wonder what in the world is Biden gonna say that he's done well. So it could be that that America looks for a war, America looks for aggression, America looks for an opportunity to make a name for itself in the midst of a horrible um, administration for simply political purposes. I rather think that, I'll take a less cynical view and just say, I rather think that Russia intends on moving into the Ukraine because they feel like America is a paper tiger right now under this administration. So we bear a little bit of that responsibility, but more importantly, I would say that we bear our world, a, a global responsibility to the world because we are not the nation's police force, but we are a power that can defend those in need. 
And don't we have some responsibility to engage in at least conversation, if not engage in action, when we can defend those who are weaker than us and we can do something about an injustice when we see it happening. Furthermore, more importantly, even if you don't agree with that, I do have to ask this question. Don't we benefit ourselves, our own backyard, by stopping Russia? When they are allowed to make aggressive acts on the world stage and they are not resisted, that is a threat to the world and a threat to America's sovereignty. When we stand up for ourselves and we say we will not tolerate injustice on our watch, that's when Russia starts taking seriously their actions on a global stage. So I would just say this. I think it's important to have this conversation. I think it's important to talk about these things. I also think it's important that we do not take a self-centered isolationist stance by just saying we don't need to go into unnecessary wars. Well, what unnecessary means is a little bit up for debate. So I think that we have at least a little bit of responsibility to do something here in this scenario, if it even for our own sake. Now, you may disagree with that. You can comment down below and let me know what you think. But I, I question the self-centered approach of isolationism to merely just take care of ourselves and not realize that, that the neighborhood may be a little bit closer than we think. If, if COVID didn't reveal to us that our nation is a little bit more connected than we think, then I don't know what will. So I would just say that when the neighborhood goes south, your property value goes south too. So at least we can take advantage of paying attention when a world power bent upon global domination makes aggressive acts and we stop those before it gets too late. All right, let's jump into our next headline. So according to Yahoo Lifestyle, quote, a new Biden Department of Energy hire is a non-binary drag queen activist. Well, what this article fails to mention too is that this person isn't only a drag queen activist, but they are also a dog fetishist. So you'll see this in another, another article where this person has the opportunity to talk about what they do behind closed doors. And, uh, it, and it says that this person likes to eat dinner while they tie up their partner and watch Star Trek. Um, and there'll also be some other more graphic dog fetish acts where they dress up like dogs um, that this person goes over. And so why do we know this disgusting behavior in the first place? Well, we know it because certain people are more concerned with activism than they are with working and doing their job. You know why? Because their activism is actually really effective. So according to a new poll... Uh, and this is a Gallup poll, 7.1% of U.S. adults identify as LGBTQ. Now, the reason that's important is a couple different things. Um, about 21% of Generation Z Americans identify as LGBTQ. And, um, and in the same Gallup poll, they looked at millennials. And millennials born 1981 to 1996, about 10.5% identified as LGBTQ. So in, in one generation's time, that number has doubled. And if you go backwards, you obviously know that that number uh, is dwindlingly small. So coinciding with this trend of an increase in the number of LGBTQ persons in Gen Z is also some troubling workplace data associated with Gen Z. So in a recent study by Forbes, 77% of Gen Z participants said that a company's commitment to diversity would be a deciding factor in choosing a role. And according to another study by Dynamic Signal, they care more about work-life balance and personal well-being 
than they do with income. And income holds much less of an importance in, in the life of a Gen Zer, according to, to this study. So, of course, when you say that you care more about work-life balance and a, the person's uh, commitment to activism on the job than you do about the actual job itself, that's at least a little bit troubling. And according to that same Forbes study, in contrast to other generations, Gen Zers are considered to be more impatient, they focus on shorter time frames only and are challenged with self-esteem issues and are considered indecisive. By the way, characteristics employers should be concerned with. So according to People, Generation Z consider themselves the hardest working generation, yet they won't tolerate being forced to work when they don't want to. Now, I don't know about you, but I every time I work for the most part, I'm being forced to work when I don't want to. But that's what this study suggests. So also a 2018 report from the American Psych Psychological Association titled Stress in America, Gen Z notes that 77% of US Gen Z adults were stressed about work versus 64% of adults overall. That same report notes that Gen Z adults are the most likely to report poor mental health. Is it any wonder, guys, that when we've worked hard to destigmatize mental health, more people are using poor mental health as an excuse to get out of work? And perhaps destigmatizing is a bad idea because when you destigmatize, you normalize and you don't get the help that you actually need. Nonetheless, one in three members, just a little over 30% of Gen Z feels motivated to work hard and stay with the company only if supervised by a supportive manager. And this is according to a Kronos study. So here's the point. We are so self-centeredly obsessed with identity that we have become comical versions of people. Now in every corner of our society, relatively smart people are calling out for racial healing when we have a generation of, of the freest and most equal people that have ever existed on the planet. Now so obsessed with ourselves are we that we now get stories about the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition in the Office of Nuclear Energy for the Department of Energy. So no one even cares who that person is. I didn't even know that was a position before this article, which shows us at least this. This person and the media are more concerned with activism and dog sex than doing their job. And when your job is of national security importance, we don't care what you do at home. We care about what you do at work. It is you, it, and it used to be commonplace, by the way, that you leave your private life at home so that you can do your job. That used to be commonplace, but activism is becoming more and more common and high-ranking officials, when they are activists, it means that job comes second, sexual preference obviously comes first, which means you can expect everyone under them to suffer for their insufferable self-centeredness, and you can expect the job that they're doing to suffer while they are doing it. So it's totally reasonable to be concerned when somebody like this takes a place front and center in a position of importance. But of course, this continues to happen in the Biden cabinet. All right, let's move on to our final headline. And this is according to the New York Times, a child's TikTok stardom opens doors and then a gunman arrives. Should come as no surprise to anybody that a headline like this was inevitably going to happen. When you allow 13-year-olds to jump onto TikTok in a sick and twisted world that constantly is concerned with identity, and their right to whatever sexual preference they want, is it any wonder that uh, a gunman kicks open the door of a young TikTok star and harasses a family? So I'll read that report to you right now. Ava Marjorie downloaded TikTok when she was 13 
and at the height of the pandemic, lockdowns a year later had more than a million followers. Her fans, nearly three quarters of them male, watched her lip sync and dance to trending music on an account with the profile message, hey, I love you. I mean, already, all I've got to tell you is, hey, parents, do your job. In a society where we're constantly undermining traditional roles and we're constantly undermining the importance of, of mom and dad in a home taking care of well-centered kids, we have parents that are allowing their 13-year-old to tell complete strangers that they love them. It's almost like we are perpetually in an episode of Twilight Zone, which does remind me, by the way, that TikTok is the repository of all things ridiculously inane and stupid. Sorry, tough guys. It's part two of a day in the life of a stay-at-home husband. When I say check your misogyny at the door, I mean it. But it still should come as a bit of a surprise to us that parents exist that would allow their kids to do this. Nonetheless, uh, they did, and this is what happened as a result. In early 2020, Ava noticed that one fan, Eric Justin 111 was just trying to get her attention in the comments on TikTok. He messaged her in Snapchat and on Instagram and turned up an online game she played with her brothers. Avery responded to him a few times at first, she said, because I used to reply to all my fans, like, hey, how was your day? Early on July 10th, the fan Eric Rohan Justin, 18, of Elliott City, Maryland, arrived with a shotgun at the Marjorie family home in Naples and blew open the front door. Now, the article will go on to say that the father chased him away, but this guy would come back again with a gun and then the father had to shoot this individual. So the real question is this, is are we so obsessed with fandom, stardom, and freedom for our children that we no longer care about their safety and security? This is the real question, right? Because at the end of the day, why in the world would you even let your 13-year-old go near a phone, much less TikTok? We've normalized this kind of behavior in society, but it is simply because we are incredibly self-centered. Either the parents are too obsessed with themselves and what they got going on in their life, or they are obsessed with the idea that their child might become a TikTok star, that they are okay with a 13-year-old talking to complete strangers on, in online gaming platforms and on TikTok. So the reality is, is that when we look at these kind of things going on in our culture, there is only one thing to blame. That we all have mirrors, but unfortunately we don't use them for self-awareness. We only use them to see how awesome we look so that we can take a selfie. And this is further illustrated by just one last piece I want to read in this article that just, that just boggles the mind. And this is according to her dad, Ava's dad. Ava is a go-getter, her father said, when classmates in New Jersey admired a sticker she had designed for her laptop. She started selling them and eventually earning nearly $700. On TikTok, she has promoted a tooth whitening product, emerging recording artists, and NFL games. Okay. Hold on. Why? Please tell me why i i just don't understand how a father can be that immoral that he prostitutes his own daughter out at 13 on tiktok just because she's making money the fact that he would even say this and be quoted as saying this just like it boggles the mind and perhaps maybe i'm pearl clutching a little bit here but our most precious resource are our kids and you cannot tell me that we are a pagan you cannot tell me anything other than that we are a pagan cultish society that absolutely loves ourselves and we have replaced God with ourselves when this is the kind of behavior that parents have towards their kids. All right, 
I'll jump off that pulpit for a moment and we'll jump into our final segment, Christianity Not Today. Christianity Not Today is where we make fun of headlines that are supposedly coming from a Christian source, but clearly are not. And so we have that here today with our good buddy, David French. And David French says this, that the seeds of political violence are being sown in churches. Now, while it's easy to see that this was merely an attempt to try to stoke outrage and to get attention for somebody who's desperate for it, um, th this is a notion that I've actually heard a lot, that Christian nationalism is the threat to Christianity today, more so than the cult of progressive uh, identity politics on the left. And so when we, when we look at these kind of stories, I think it's important that we see if there's any merit to the claims so that we can really address them and then we can really see where the real threat may be. So let's jump into this story in the dispatch by David French. On Thursday night in Castle Rock, Colorado, a group called FEC United held a town hall meeting that featured a potpourri of GOP candidates and election conspiracy theorists. Most notably, the event included John Eastman, the Claremont scholar who authored the notorious legal memos that purported to justify the decertification and reversal of the 2020 election results. During the meeting, a man named Sean Smith accused Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold of election misconduct. You know, if you're involved in election fraud, then you deserve to hang, he said. Sometimes the old, way, old ways are the best ways. I was accused of endorsing violence, he went on. I'm not endorsing violence. I'm saying once you put your hand on a hot stove, you get burned. As soon as he said, you deserve to hang, an audience member shouted, yeah, and applause filled the room. The moment almost entirely ignored by the national media is worth noting on its own terms, but perhaps the most ominous aspect of the evening was its location, a church called The Rock. If you think it's remotely unusual that a truly extremist event was held at a church, then you're not familiar with far-right road shows that are stoking extremism in church after church at event after event. David French here wants you to believe that on a regular basis on Sunday mornings or whenever people are going to church, that right-wing extremism is what we're actually talking about. Because you and I both know that you're all familiar with walking into a church and seeing a portrait of Jesus with a MAGA hat on because that is the iconography of the Christian right today. Now, if this wasn't ridiculous enough, it also comes in the context of the left who actually wishes to mainstream kooks, not the right. I mean, go to the vast majority of Christian universities and you will find feminist apologetics or um, critical race theory posing as social justice biblical virtues. And you can see all of this on the accounts of even professors in the mainstream who are quote-unquote reformed or Christians, but also feminists as though those two things really go together well. Uh, no, the truth is, is that the people who are really mainstreaming radical ideology are those on the left, not those on the right. And far rarer is it that this kind of extremism actually shows up in churches. Now, I don't know The Rock, and uh, well, I mean, I know The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, but I don't know, and we're friends, by the way, uh, but I don't know The Rock, the church, The Rock, but if I were to guess, I would suspect that this is probably a relatively small congregation and David French wants to try to make a story out of nothing. When we look at a, at a radical identity politician and a radical abortionist in Joe Biden, 
It's clear that the Christian on the right has a much clearer road to saying something like, like that than the person on the left. So nonetheless, this, this kind of mainstreaming nonsense is happening on, on one party way more than the other. Uh, with endless conversations about racial healing in America and how that needs to come from the church. Yeah, by the way, it always has and nothing has changed. There is no such thing as civil rights in the West without American Christianity, quite frankly, and without Christianity writ large, even in England. So to suggest that now there needs to be racial healing because of how racist the church is is just absolutely insane. And this is being played uh, today in our culture by just professing that there is even this large demographic called the Christian nationalist right. They don't exist. Now, I can't really prove that to you, but all I can say to you is just go into any church any, on, on any given Sunday in America and see how hard it is to find, which David French certainly isn't willing to do because he's too busy writing this nonsense while people are at church even though he's supposedly a, a Christian and, and supposedly a conservative. But more importantly, what I can show you is where the kooks really hang out. So here is a trailer from a movie called Everything is All White. I think what annoys me most about white people is when they pretend like they're the victim. <laughs> what's also annoying is when they, you know, when they kill us. You know what's also annoying? people who act like they know what they're talking about, but are actually imbeciles. The, the real numbers here suggest something far different. You know who's really killing black people on a much, much, much larger number? Um, other black people. Now this is the same thing in, in white communities. White people kill other white people more than any other racial demographic. But uh, it's funny that they never wish to talk about this, but, but suffice to say, I just wanna go ahead and clear my, my name just so that I can show allegiance and alliance with those of you on the left. Uh, I identify as white and to date, I have never killed a black person. So we are not killing us, at least not all of us. That's other white people, it's not me. I'm an ally, like I said. But let's keep on going because there's more great gems of wisdom in this trailer. <laughs> We're the Capitol. You're not patriots, you're ridiculous. Smartest thing that's in that whole trailer, by the way, Everybody agrees with this. The people at the Capitol were not patriots. They are ridiculous and evil. Uh, but there's more. One of the definitions of American whiteness is ignorance. I just don't understand what you say to that, by the way. Um, one of the definitions of American whiteness is ignorance. Hmm. That's <laughs> it. I don't know what you say to that. Perhaps one of the definitions for the social justice left and the anti-racist left is insanity? White Jesus or black Jesus? Jesus was not white. Think of geography. Okay, and that takes us to the real point here. Um, do you know the number of people who actually believe that Jesus had blonde hair and blue eyes? Um, you can probably count it on one hand because this is how many Christian evangelicals actually believe that Jesus looked like me or had white skin and blue eyes. Um, he, by the way, wasn't black either. He was Jewish and so he probably had kind of a light brown tone skin, brown eyes and brown hair. He might've looked something like the guy on The Chosen or maybe even like Jim Caviezel even though he was a white man. 
But he definitely wasn't black, but he definitely wasn't European. You know who knows this? Absolutely everybody. The reason they wish to suggest something like this is because they're building a straw man so that they can fight against nothing. If you make something sound incredibly ridiculous, well then of course you want to fight against it. And of course people won't look to see that what you're actually talking about is nonsensical, if not an out and out lie at the very least. I think it's important to state this stuff because there are so many people who repeat this lie. How many people go around suggesting that George Washington was Nigerian? None. In the same way that nobody suggests that Jesus was white. But this goes back to our David French article because nobody is suggesting that, for example, if you stormed the Capitol on January 6th that you were a good Christian. And by the way, the only person who is suggesting that it was a bunch of Christians that were doing that is David French. Because who has ever heard this nonsense? Who actually believes that these people, now they might have been professing Christians at the end of the day, but there is no study, no numbers, no actual justification for the claim that January 6th was, a, um, was an act perpetuated by Christian nationalists. But he doesn't stop David French from lying about it and telling everybody that in his article. It says this. When it comes to Christian nationalism, the bar for concern has been passed by any conceivable measure. When a movement is strong enough to storm the Capitol, then it is worth continued monitoring and continued concern. Now that's just an audacious statement to suggest that Christian nationalism is what is behind the storming of the Capitol on January 6th. There's just no evidence for that. So not only is he straw manning, he's doing what is called nut picking, which means he's picking out a couple of rare few exceptions to the rule and then trying to make it the rule. Now, all my contention is just simply this. If you really want to go nut picking, I guarantee you, the left is way, way, way more chock full of nuts than any other segment of society today, right now, especially in America. So here's the real question. Should you condemn the Christian nationalism that is racist, isolationist to an extreme, and even anti-biblical? Yes. But here's the real question, French, for you and other people like you. Are you willing to condemn the left for their equally nonsensical identity politics, Marxist overt notions, and anti-biblical ideology? That's the real question. But of course, the answer to that is probably no, because as long as he's got a boogeyman, he can avoid the truth. So bringing it back to our theme, and closing out from this time together, here's what I would say, is that when we become the arbiters of truth, when we cast aside Christian scripture, when we cast aside um, rational arguments and give way to identity arguments, we are making way for the kind of journalism that Don Lemon does and David French does. And there's one side of the aisle that does it way more than the other. But here's the real problem. It is because we no longer have a standard of truth it is because we have given over into relativism that we can jock for position and argue back and forth with one another instead of standing up right in the center of the truth and saying, regardless of your opinion, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you claim your identity is, there is still truth. And we do wrong when we kick against it. So we'll see our society continue to erode, social institutions continue to unravel, as long as we continue to stand behind standards of reality that don't uphold the truth. When we become the arbiters of truth, that's when society's days are numbered. All right, 
I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.